This is Designing the Revolution. You're listening to The Emergence of the People, Chapter 24, Part 3. I think that's right. <laughs> All right. So in the last episode, we started thinking seriously about how we're going to build this emergence of the people, what the basic principles are, the revolutionary methodology of transgression, gaining attention, gaining a critical mass of support and then building from there, as opposed to the reformist paradigm, which is to go to existing gatekeepers, knock your head against the wall for a few months or a few years or a few decades, dare I say it, and then finally realise that that doesn't work. Um, and we looked at a nice case study with young people, youth, and um, how we'd managed to create a significant mobilisation through Just Stop Oil, that case study, using these, um, you know, using some of these techniques. So as I mentioned, there's two other main groups which we need to mobilise in terms of our top-level strategy. There's young people, there's people of colour, black people, Asian colour, Asian people, um, and then there's the rural or small town, lower middle class. So in this episode, I'm going to have an attempt, let's put it like that, right, to design uh, an activation of the two, the two latter demographics. And the reason why I'm saying have an attempt is because I'm going to use a sort of theoretical approach because I don't have direct experience of mobilising these two, two groups. So unlike a lot of the previous episodes, we're starting to move here into sort of slightly uncharted waters because by definition, there hasn't been a revolutionary episode recently in Western societies. That emphatically does not mean that what I'm going to tell you is just made up on the back of an envelope. What we're doing is we're, we're basing our strategy on historical evidence, on social scientific evidence, on the more immediate evidence of how we've had successes in the near past in the same time and space. So we're not blind, just means like it's not a done deal and there might be some variations on theme, which is all well and good, of course, because you should always be iterative in your approach. You go, and, you know, mobilise people of colour and, you know, 60% work, 70% work is always going to be, okay, we need to go and learn this when we go and do the next iteration. The fundamental point, of course, is you have to do it, right? You have to go and do the failure in order to get to the success. And this is the fundamental uh, characteristic, okay, of the revolutionary vanguard or whatever you want to hear. They are going out and making mistakes and going, oh, you know, that didn't work. And people give you a hard time and say how terrible you are. And you're going, yeah, 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 but that's better than just sitting around criticising, right? Okay, so let's plunge into quite a contentious uh, a topic, of course, which is the mobilisation of black people, Asian people, people of colour, there's various different words knocking around for these dem demographics. Um, again, I'm not going to over-define it because we could be here all day, uh, but um, I'm going to focus, in so much as I'm going to focus on anything on on people in in urban centres in the UK in 2023. And this might have limited applicability to the US or to other Western societies, but 
I would still maintain that broadly the strategies uh, are replicable, but you know, let's see. So let's just plow into this. First of all, with with this this social group, there's a paradox, as there is with a lot of these groups. You know, they sort of have a lot of power, and they sort of don't have a lot of power. So the black community has a lot of power because it's got massive cultural coolness about it. It also has a history of moral action, you know, not least Martin Luther King, anti-racism. In other words, in society, it's a, it's a bit like, it has this sort of prophetic ambience, uh, which, you know, gets degraded and exploited and all the rest of it. It's still fundamentally there. And this is manifested through music, sport, culture. Uh, so it's this cultural force. And then on the other hand, of course, there's the objective oppression of racism, uh, class oppression, you know, poverty, lack of education, um, ex you know, the systematic ex exclusion from the main structures, uh, pathways of society, the relations with the police, stop and search, uh, and the most ugly sides of that, that, you know, the various horrors that happen to black people on, on that score. So, you know, I'm just mapping this out to start off with. So at the same time, you have a similar gatekeeper-esque structure and there's two sort of elements to this that I can identify. So one of them is an elite sort of university educated in London, what we might call the radical left, which is very performative. It's very theoretical. It's very intellectual. It's quite toxic. It's like, don't touch our space without our permission. And if you do, we're going to give you a hard time. If you don't, we're going to give you a hard time. There's all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff that goes on. Um, the upshot of it is, is nothing happens, which is structural, right? There's plenty that happens that's performative, that's verbal, you know, we're out against racism, we're going to have black speakers, we're going to do this, that and the other. But it's not actually changing the structural racism and structural oppression of black people as a whole in the urban centres of the UK uh, from a revolutionary Marxist or whatever traditional uh, left position, as you might say. The other aspect of it, which has come out through, through the, um, you know, over the last 30 years, is this neoliberal colonisation, as it were, of black culture, where people are going, if we stick in the system, if we, if we work to get through the system, we can do well, you know, you can set up businesses, you can get into the arts, it's the individualization of improvement, it's the decollectivization, and all this sort of stuff. So there's the people going, you know, that's what black people should do, and blah, blah, blah. And then you can juxtapose these two sort of gatekeeper spaces, the entrepreneur space and the sort of intellectual left space, with the actual lived experience of working class black people, and I've got some experience of knocking on the doors and surprise, surprise, they're, you know, remarkably straightforward people. They love being listened to because no one actually listens to them and they're ready and they're open and they're curious and they're not, you know, oppressed in some sort of classical, they can't actually do anything for themselves sort of way. Needless to say, there's lots of toxicity in working class culture and, you know, uh, inter in into community dysfunction you know violence and, and and what have you the point is though that there's the the same broad structure there's the gatekeeper space and then there's the sort of ordinary people in that space space as you, as you might say so i'm 
when I'm trying to design this, I'm thinking, okay, so there's three sort of entry points. So the first one is intellectual, because as we've established, the intellectual space is not completely homogeneous. It's not like all these people don't care and just want to mouth off about stuff. There's a minority, and maybe it's a very small minority, and I'm working with a few of these guys at the moment, who are intellectual, who are community leaders, who are community activists, and they know exactly what's going on. They know what's happening with the climate and all the rest of it, and they are they are ready for a revolutionary like design, right? So you're getting somewhere with that little group. The other group obviously is people on the front line. And ob obviously it's particularly young people. We've already discussed young people, young people of color, a very similar sort of experience and orientation. They're fresh, they're mad, you know, they're ready for something new. And then we've got art and culture. So art and culture is a big vague thing, but one of the main ways to get into these communities, or any community of course, is through artistic projects, cultural projects, people coming together, discussing stuff and what have you. Um, okay, so <coughs> we've got those three groups. How do we try and pull them together? So here's a few ideas, right? So where, where are the two, where's two main spaces? So let's start off with community colleges, youth groups, right? Churches. These are places where black people congregate, particularly young people, obviously, around community colleges, people that aren't going to go to university. So you're leafleting them, a bit like what we did with the students. So again, I've done this once, uh, once or twice, went to community college, handed out, you know, spent a day handing out leaflets. 70% of these young people of colour are not interested. You know, 25% are sort of like, yeah, yeah, look, look at the leaflet. 5% are coming up to you going, God, you know, this climate situation's fucked. Everything's fucked. What's going on? We need to do something. In other words, like getting around those gatekeepers who claim to speak for the psychological and political condition of, of those working class people of colour is is actually proves that these people are mobilizable, right? They're ready to go, they're fresh and they're, they're open. Then you've got connecting these people with influencers, so maybe it's hip hop artists or something like that. So there's a gig or some sort of sound system event. So they're being brought into culture and then they need to be moved into some sort of action phase, right? Because otherwise it's all performative. So I spoke to this guy as it happens this week and he's done these art projects with black people, that's all well and good, and you know, they're activated to a certain extent. But as we all know, art projects, cultural projects are performative in the sense that you just do them and then the kids go home, and it's like, what the fuck? Well, it wasn't very interesting, was it? Because we're just in the same mess. So what we have to design, of course, is this transgressive action. Now, interestingly enough, you know, one of the big gatekeeper blocks here is people go, oh, well, people of color, you know, won't mobilise, you know, won't do transgressive stuff. And obviously there's good reasons why people of colour won't do that, but this isn't the analysis. The analysis is not, we're not talking about people of colour, of course, we're talking about a normal distribution curve on people of colour. You know, 70% of them wouldn't dream of doing civil disobedience, you know, 25, 30%, 25%, yeah, you know, a bit ambiguous, and 1% are going, let's go, let's go for it, right? which is sort of similar to any other demographic, arguably. But the point is, there's always that long tail. There's always going to be, you know, I could predict there's a thousand black young people in London. They're just ready to do civil disobedience tomorrow. 
But we don't know where they are, of course, because we've got the same problem we had at King's College. So we need to do something transgressive. So a pathway here that I'm working on at the moment is there's an assembly. So assemblies are great because you bring all these people together and you could talk, you know, you're not going to call it an assembly because that's, you know, crap language. You're going to call it like, let's talk, something like that, something Anglo-Saxon. Let's get together in the park, split big groups into eight. People participate in the act of speech and they do an assembly on what, what's crap's happening, you know, whether it's pollution, community policing. They come up with a programmatic outcome and then because this isn't a local council event and everyone goes, well, thank you very much for your opinion, off off the home you go, thank you very much. You know, everyone thinks, well, what, was the, what was the point of doing that? This is run by this revolutionary vanguard sort of space and they're going to go, okay, so that's the programme and now let's go and um, occupy City Hall, okay? And everyone's going, yeah, of course, that's the next step. So, you know, recently in Cornwall, those people's assemblies, these assemblies, and then they went and occupied the council. And, and so you've got this pathway towards transgression, publicity, and then more people, of course, getting in touch with you and going, oh, you know, you occupied City Hall. I, I saw about it on the news. You know, when's your next meeting? And suddenly the people in South London that started it off, they're speaking to people in North London and East London. And so you start building this, this movement of, of civil resistance. Okay, so, you know, that's that's a pathway. The more you actually sort of do the landscape analysis and then look at the openings and then look at these processes of towards transgression, you can see that it, a cultural group is not that different to another cultural group, which is, you know, a terrible thing to say in this identity obsessed age. But sociologically, psychologically, it would appear to be the case. OK, so let's look at the third group, um, the third demographic that we're going to have a brief investigation of, uh, which is what I'm going to call the regional lower middle class. <coughs> now, to some extent, I'm not that happy with that phrasing of it. Because um, it, it's, a, it's a category that doesn't really have really clear edges to it. And in some ways, I want to include what you might call the organised working class within this as well, because I'm not necessarily thinking about a social ec economic group, you know, like the working class, the middle class. I'm talking something about a culture, and it's a culture of what you might call anti-modern conservatism, social conservatism which shouldn't be confused with being right-wing, though often, well, sometimes and often it is. And it's more like the feeling of being left behind. So there's 101 bucks on all these this sort of subject, as you may know. And the general storyline is, you know, in 1989, a lot of the lower middle-income people in Western societies are broadly doing okay. Um, lower middle class jobs, uh, organised working class jobs and then you've got globalisation and the loss of industry and you know degree of atomization and you know deindustrialization. minor strike in the UK was a seminal moment. So this is well rehearsed sort of territory um, if you know your sociology. And um, how that has manifested itself is in a disillusionment 
with what you might call the neoliberal project in terms, but in particular sense, like an opposition to global capitalism, an opposition to the urban middle class, like the administrator class, um, a suspicion of complexity, bureaucracy, a sense of loss of agency, um, a sort of romantic attachment to decency, you know, social concerted values, family, small scale social connections, going to the pub, being an essential worker. There's a whole sort of massive sort of complex of different bits and bobs, as you might say, on, 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 on all of this. The key critical point here is that objectively, these are the losers, right? And again, as we've discussed with many objectively oppressed groups, the it's not the exception, it's more that the rule that they don't like other groups that are oppressed because there's this cultural dynamic and <coughs> <coughs> divide and rule dynamic where these groups perceive themselves as being alienated from urban people, alienated from people of colour and such like. But what we know and what the revolutionary strategy is, of course, is to go through a series of moves that enables those people to see their own role, their own role in society objectively, as we're going to use that word, um, and through that new vision of their own uh, collectivity, their own um, sense of themselves, they can again they start to see the other elements of the construction of the people as in a different light, in a solidarity right light rather than a suspicion, uh, competition light, and even a hatred uh, at, at worst. Okay. So I want to sort of, I want to just give a little example of how not to do this, okay? So there was an example a little while ago I read, I think it was the leader of the uh, Green Party in Germany, he popped over to East Germany. And, um, you know, in East Germany, there's not, you know, there's a tendency towards Nazism, there's a tendency towards communism. There's a broad tendency which is opposed to this neoliberal individualist project. And arguably for good reason, because, you know, these people are subject to de-industrialisation. So this leader of the Green Party went to uh, do a speech. He went to do a speech in front of all these miners. And he was saying, you know, I'm great. You know, the Green Party is going to have this new green future. And it can't have mines in it because, you know, that's all carbon emissions. And trust me and, you know, everything will be fine. And of course, the miners went, go and fuck yourself, <laughs> because they've got good objective reasons that this guy's going to lie, because people in government have been lying for 30 years. You know, they say they're going to get good jobs and they don't. They just get crap jobs uh, in, in deindustrialized towns. They don't participate in the political process. And of course, the guy who's talking to them is engaging in a speech. There's no participation in the space. And of course, why should they trust him anyway? Because he's a West German, you know, middle class philosophy lecturer or something like that. It's hardly a, a great, a great design. Let's put it like that. So 
if we're going to design this empowerment um, process for the lower middle class, uh, organised working class, or formerly organised working class situation, again, step one is, is how can, how can we reconstruct our communication to them? And then what's the landscape and how can we do a design around that landscape? So one of the things we need to work on, and we'll discuss this more, but on the framing is we need to be going to these people and discussing their concerns within their frame, within their culture, within their orientation. So, um, and asking them questions within that, within that frame. So for instance, like they're opposed to fuel prices, fuel price increases. Absolutely. Why? Because they don't think that they should be paying out of their pockets for something that has been created by rich people. So this is completely lost on sort of liberal Green Party, Green type people, right? So, you know, the new frame is basically, it's a class issue, right? It's a class issue where you're saying, all the rich people in society have created this cli climate chaos. They should pay, right? That shouldn't be low middle class people that are struggling, like rural people that spend, you know, 30% of their income on transportation because there's no buses, blah, 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 right? So we've got this sort of move when we're talking with these people of starting from where they are and not criticising them for where they are, but like evolving their point of view to come to something which is compatible with um, a post-carbon future. And this is that's the broad move which is to bring people together to focus on the real enemy, as it were, which is obviously the ruling class, which is the elites that's created all their problems over the last 30 years. How can this be done? Let's look at the landscape. So what we're looking at, you know, like when we're looking at for people of colour, we're saying, OK, so there's youth clubs, there's churches, you know, community colleges. So again, where are the sites of collective gathering for the lower middle class? their conferences, you know, farming conferences, there's pubs, there's auctions, <coughs> you know, farmers auctions, things like that. There's local council meetings. These are the places to go to. And then, and then the question is, you know, going to engage, which, to be honest with you, I haven't quite worked out, but one way of doing it, and I've talked to one or two people about this, is people go into that space, you know, with a clipboard and go, I'm from, you know, just a Poyo or wherever it is, you know, I'm really interested in your view. And they talk to you. And you might think, God, this is a disastrous strategy, but it's not. Because it's only a disastrous strategy if you're trying to persuade them of something. So this is the paradox of engaging in the actual speech. So they're going to talk to you and, you know, I... I can tell you within five or 10 minutes, 90% of those farmers or small business people are going to actually like you because you're listening to them. And then through that conversation, you can involve some sort of meeting. Let's come and talk about it in a more structured way. Let's have an assembly about it, you know, in this rural area. What is the future of farming? What is the future of small businesses? You know, when you've got Starbucks on your high street and they don't pay any tax and you pay tax. There's a whole gambit of discontent brewing in all these lower middle class groups and through the assembly model through 
the listening model, then all these groups are going to start coalescing around some radical orientation. The other thing is, is when the more extreme elements of that group, like for instance the right-wing tabloids, they you know pile all sorts of crap on you, then you say let's have a debate. So this is the Harvey Milk routine, right? It's not like, oh we're not going to talk to these people. At every opportunity you're going to talk with them. So you're going to the farming conference, you're going to the trade union conference, you know, maybe they won't let you in, so you do the meeting outside. If they do let you in, then you split people into groups and they're going to talk about stuff. Once you've got a few people who are going, yeah, I'm a farmer and I agree with you, and I'm a farmer, by the way, so, <laughs> so I know a few things about farmers. Once there's a bunch of everyday normal farmers, then they are the people who are going to appear on the media. They're the people who are going to run an organisation which is going to build some sort of emergence of the people. Um, and then lastly, once you've got some influencers, some crossover influencers, they're going to go on the Zoom calls or they're going to have the big meetings and they're going to say, look, you know, I was a farmer, I was a small businessman, you know, and I have made this transition. And what happens, of course, is is people in those lower middle class communities are seeing people like them saying this new message, which is we don't need, we need to be stupid, we don't need to be miserable, we don't need to like be opposed to groups that we have something in common with. We have to join with black people in the cities, we have to join with young people, and we all have to join together and join this emergence of the people. Um, So those are, you know, of all the three sections, this one is the most vague because, to be honest with you, I haven't really worked it out. But someone's going to work it out. And what I'm trying to say is, like, it's completely doable because the fundamentals of the human condition are the same. People love to be listened to. People love to engage in the act of speech. They love to get together in an assembly and discuss their problems. And I'm on the verge, for instance, of bringing together lower middle class people in small regional towns who want to hold assemblies and young black people in the inner cities. These two groups never talk to each other, but I'm pretty certain once they're put in the room to each other, within about 50 minutes, they're going to be going, oh my God, we're all the same. We've got the same enemy. We've got the same opponent. You know, we all want to do assemblies. We all want to put our own candidates up. We all want to engage in some transformatory society. And the glorious, like, ecstatic sort of synthesis happens, which happens in all times of progressive social change, which is these groups which had at best nothing to say to each other and at worst, you know, actively hated each other, come together through this process of dialogue, reconciliation, collective um, emergence with this new framing that is one group that's the enemy. There's one group we're opposed to and we are all on the other side. And that brings me on to what I'm going to talk about like in the next session, which is this is not about, this is not a liberal project. It's not a, this left popularist orientation we're broadly following here is not saying, hey, we're going to gather all the groups of society together and they're all going to, you know, we're all going to have a nice time. No, you're, this is a polarising project but it's a sophisticated polarising project. It's not a polarising project where you just get one group, like black urban youth against society. That's 
pretty unsmart. What we're trying to do is we're going to get a majority. The construction of the people is the creation of a numeric majority, right? 80, 70, 60% of the population. And they're saying, we are the people and we are opposed to the elites. And in the next section, we're going to look at that more closely, that as we start moving towards this great battle, uh, what are, what's going to be emerging strategy and how we're going to win it? We already know we need to have the emergence of the people. That's what I've been talking about for the last two or three episodes. And then we're going to bring them into battle. How does that work? So we're going to look at that next time. Thanks.